But anyway, uh, we've titled this series, Let Them Hear. The reason we have done that uh, is because often throughout Scripture, we will see Jesus say in several different situations and occasions, uh, he will say specifically, those who have ears, let them hear, right? Uh, From time to time, you'll see him kind of pause in a parable, and he'll stop, and he'll say, listen, right? And and so, uh, you know, We've talked about the last few weeks that listening and not only, you know, listening and hearing, but understanding uh, what is is being said is a critical life skill (laughs) and that men have a long way to go toward refining that and getting better uh, at that. Uh, But it's it's important that that when you listen, you listen closely and understand the meaning of what is actually being said. And it reminds me of this story that I heard about of these two rednecks. Uh, they went hunting uh, together, and they're out in the woods, and, and Bubba uh, grabs his chest, you know, and he falls to the ground, you know, falls to the ground. And when he hits the ground, his buddy that's there hunting with him looks, and it doesn't appear that he's breathing. His eyes have rolled back in his head. And, and so, you know, he pulls out his, his flip phone, and he calls 911. The 911 operator answers the phone, you know, very calmly. This is 911. Do you have an emergency? And he said, yeah, I think Bubba's dead, you know. He said, he's laying on the ground. I don't think he's breathing. And he said, his eyes are rolled back in his head. I almost know that Bubba is dead. And the 911 operator very calmly, very peacefully, you know, speaks back to him. And she says, okay, okay, just remain calm. Just remain calm, but here's what we need to do. The first thing we need to do is, uh, is just verify that he is dead. And so there's silence on the other end of the line, and all of a sudden you hear a shotgun blast over the phone. He comes back to the phone. He said, okay, now what? And, and so some, some of you will get that at lunch today when your wife explains it to you. But I'm almost certain this story is not true, but hey, it, this is Arkansas. And uh, there is a state called Mississippi. So uh, who knows? But anyway, the, the, the point is, in these parables, we need to be real sure not to just read the words and read the stories, but it's important that we understand what is being said, what is being spoken to us. And we, we, we need to listen closely to these words and these images that Jesus gives us in, in these parables. And so today we're going to be looking at a parable that I believe kind of gets to the heart uh, of our culture today, uh, you know, it seems, especially in America, uh, we have this fundamental idea in our culture today, and, and I would say that it's this sense of justice uh, that we have in our lives. There's not many things that are as ingrained in us as this sense of justice that so many of us have today. And whether you're religious or not, whether you're conservative or whether you're liberal or whether you're young or whether you're old, we all seem to have this sense, uh, this need for justice in our lives and in our situations. Uh, And if you don't believe me, just listen to your children. Those of you that have children or have raised children or have grandchildren or whatever, just listen to them for a little while because at a very young age, you begin to hear these words come out of their mouth. That's not fair, (laughs) right? I mean, what parent has not heard that? Right? That's not fair. And so, since we have this need for justice and we have this need for everyone to 
be treated you know, fairly, then sometimes it can be frustrating to us when God doesn't operate within those parameters, right? It, it can be frustrating uh, when he doesn't do what we think he should do in these terms of justice uh, that we have in our culture and in our lives. And so we see Jesus address this. Uh, you know, this frustration in this parable that we're going to be looking at today. And so if you're here today and you've ever asked the question, God, why did you let this happen? Or, you know, you've said, God, this isn't fair. Then this parable today, this story is probably for you. And so I believe it's probably for most of us that are here today. So this parable is in chapter 20, but it's actually a further explanation of a story that Jesus was telling about a rich young ruler earlier in, um, in chapter 19. So I just want to go back there and see how Jesus finishes that story and transitions into this next one. Um, in verse 30 of chapter 19, Jesus says this, But many who are first will be last, and many who are last will be first. And then he transitions from that into another parable that would just reinforce what he's talking about here in Matthew chapter 20 starting at verse 1. He says, "For the kingdom of God, uh, the kingdom of heaven is like a landowner who went out early in the morning, probably around 6 a.m., to hire workers for his vineyard." And, and you don't see this much anymore, but back then there were parts of the city where laborers would go and wait uh, you know, to, to pick up jobs and, and to try to get hired by someone. If you needed work to be done or you needed a laborer to uh, help you or to hire, then you would show up at this particular location and the people needing laborers would go there to hire people for help. Uh, someone shared with me this morning following early service that uh, this happens, you know, even here in America today, that people will hang out around a Home Depot or a Lowe's or something like that, and they'll see somebody coming out with a big load of lumber or landscaping or, or whatever and solicit to see if they need any help. And so that's kind of the setting that you see here. People would have been gathered that were looking for work. It would be a location that people would come to, to if they were looking for laborers. And so uh, that, that's what was taking place. It says he agreed to pay them a denarius for the day and he sent them into his vineyard. And a denarius was the standard day's wage back then. Okay, so uh, everyone just knew that if you worked a day, then you would receive a denarius for uh, working for that day, and it would be fair, and everyone would be happy uh, and be in agreement with that. Verse 3 goes on to say this, about 9 in the morning, he went out and saw others standing in the marketplace doing nothing. He told them, he said, you also go and work in my vineyard, and I will pay you whatever is right, so they went. So First trip, 6 a.m., he's picked up some laborers. He left. You know, he comes back. He sees that there are more laborers that are there that have not been hired or picked up by anyone else yet. And so he says, you know, you go work in my vineyard, and I'll pay you, you know, whatever's right. It'll, it'll be fair. And so they go to work as well. Now, don't miss this. These 9 a.m. workers, they go to work without an agreement, Okay. Uh, on, on what the wage is going to be for the day. They don't have a contract. They just believe the master's promise that if they will go with him and work in the vineyard, then he'll take good care of them. Okay, now verse 5. He goes out again about noon, 
And then again about 3 in the afternoon and did the same thing. Picking up more workers, but again, he did the same thing. There's no contract. There's no agreement on what the wage will be. Verse 6, about 5 in the afternoon, he went out and found still others standing around, some that hadn't been hired yet. He asked them, why have you been standing here all day long doing nothing? They said, because no one has hired us. He said to them, you also go and work in my vineyard. Again, no contract, no agreement. Only the 6 a.m. guys are the ones who have agreed to a wage or have a, a contract or agreement with the, with the master here. Everyone else, what are they doing? They're just trusting in the goodness of the one who has put them to work. They're just trusting in the goodness of this master and they believe his promises that he'll take care of them and will be fair about it. Verse 8, when evening came, the owner of the vineyard said to his foreman, Call the workers and pay them their wages, beginning with the last ones that were hired and then going on to the first ones that were hired. The workers who were hired about five in the afternoon, they came and each received a denarius. You see the trouble brewing here, right? Verse number 10. So when those came who were hired first, they expected to receive more, all right? But each one of them also received a denarius. When they received it, they began to grumble against the landowner. Verse 12 says, These who were hired last worked only one hour, they said. And you have made them equal to us who have borne the burden of the work and the heat of the day. Right? And so here's what's taking place here. You know, the, the master lines them all up and says, okay, you know, 5 p.m. guys, you know, you step forward, you come forward to receive your pay. They're all fresh, they're energetic, you know, they don't even smell yet. I mean, good grief, they've only worked uh, an hour at this time. And the master says to these 5 p.m. guys that have only worked an hour, you know, I told you that I would take good care of you, right? You know, and so here's a denarius for you, and here's a denarius for you, and you get a denarius, and you get a denarius, and I feel like Oprah. Uh, uh, but anyway, so he's paying everybody, you know, the same amount. He's working his way down the line, and the guys that have been working all day long, the ones that started at 6 o'clock in the morning, they're watching this take place, and, and they're seeing what's going on, and they're getting excited, right? Because if those people who only work one hour are getting a denarius, I can't even imagine what we're going to get after we've worked hard for, for 12 hours all day long, and they're about to rack up, right? But finally, the master turns to them and says, and here's a denarius for each one of you, right? And at that point, can't you just hear what they were probably saying or thinking, that's not fair, right? That's not fair. We're getting the same thing that they got? Verse 13 goes on, but he answered one of them, I am not being unfair to you, friend. Didn't you agree to work for a denarius? Verse 15, don't I have the right to do what I want with my own money? Or are you envious because I'm generous? Right? And when the master said that, I imagine some of them thought, well, yes, I am a little envious that you were generous to them and not us. Right? I'd rather have justice. I want what I deserve. And I imagine about this time right now, there was probably a twinkle in Jesus' eye as he's telling this story. And he goes, really? You want 
justice? You want to talk about what you deserve? <laughs> huh? I really don't think you want to go there. And Jesus uses this, this story as a powerful, powerful way to speak uh, this truth into our lives. And if we zoom out now from this story to the larger picture of the entire New Testament, here's what we realize, and don't miss this. If God gives any of us what we deserve, we're all doomed. <laughs> we're all doomed. The Bible says in Romans 6.23, it says what we deserve. The wages that we have earned, the wages that we deserve, Paul said in 6.23, that the wages of sin is death. And if we want to get technical about it, that's what we deserve, right? Because anything we get more than that, well, that's just simply grace, it's grace. So let's stop talking about what we deserve and quit complaining about what's not fair. Think about who's telling the story here. It's Jesus, right? Jesus is the one telling the parable here uh, that we're looking at. And, and Jesus is really the one who worked all day while we sat around and did nothing. Do you see him in this story? He's the one that worked all day. And we did nothing. And then not only did he not get what he deserved, he was punished for our laziness. <laughs> he was punished for what we didn't do or couldn't do. The, the wages that he was due, the wages that Jesus earned and he was due, and what would have been fair and what would have been right, those wages that he had earned and he was due were paid to us. And the punishment that we deserved was put on him. On the cross, he was beaten, he was whipped, and he was crucified for sin. Not his sin, but our sin. And what did we do? Right? Well, we lived the sinner's life and we reap what? Well, and instead of getting, getting what we deserve, we get the reward. Instead of getting what we deserve, we receive the re reward of, uh, of righteousness. And we want to talk about what's fair? <laughs> really? I don't think we want to go there. And, and I think it's interesting when you consider that the master in this parable, think about it, he could have avoided this whole situation, right? I mean, if he, you know, if he would have paid the guys in the order that he hired them, this wouldn't have been near as big a deal. This wouldn't have been near as big an issue. He could have given those 6 a.m. workers, he could have put them in line first and had them come forward first, and he could have paid them the denarius that they had agreed to and sent them on their way, and they would have been happy with that and none the wiser, right? But instead, he insists on paying them in reverse order so that the guys who had worked 12 hours could see that the guys who only worked one hour were getting the same thing that they were getting. And he's not doing this to try to pick a fight or to start trouble. He's doing this to make a point, right? He's doing this to make a point, and his point is you don't want to be in a contract with God. All right, let me put it like this. You don't want to be in contract negotiations with God, all right? Uh, you, you don't want to receive what you deserve or what you think that you should earn. Uh, and, but it's better, it's better, look at the story, it's just better to go with the master and trust him, right? 
just to go with him and trust that he'll be fair, trust that he'll be just, just like the 5 p.m. guys did. You know, it'll work out a whole lot better for us if we'll just go on those conditions rather than going under a contract or trying to negotiate that. And so Jesus ends this parable the same way that we start it. Uh, you know, at the beginning in verse 16, he says, So the last will be first, and the first will be last. All right? It's better to be last in life, trusting the master, trusting in God's grace, than being first and getting what you think you deserve or what you think uh, is fair. And I believe so many of our spiritual struggles and problems coming come from having this contract mentality uh, with God, believing that God owes us something and we want Him to give us what we think that we deserve. And so I want to look at some signs today that you might be in a contract uh, with God or negotiating with God. And, and the first is this, you may be in a contract with God if you are bitter. And you may be here this morning and think, you know, I'm not bitter. Uh, and if that's what you think, tell your face, number one. Number two, uh, I, I want to frame that with this question. Have you ever been bitter because God has withheld something from you that you think you deserved? Have you ever been bitter about that? That you felt that God had withheld something from you that you think was rightly yours? In this story, the 12-hour workers are bitter at not getting more because they think they deserve more. Right? But again, what's Jesus getting at here? Well, it's, it's this glaring fact that everything that you receive in life, every good thing that you receive in life beyond death and hell is a gift. All right, it's a gift. And sometimes we go, you know, well, God, why is, why is this bad thing happening to me? Why does it always seem to be our family? Why does it always seem to be my car? Why does it always seem to be us? You know, God, this isn't, it isn't fair. Uh, as if we deserve for bad things not to happen to us. Like we somehow deserve for everything just to be hunky-dory and rosy all the time, Right? And so, you know, listen, the fact that we were even able to get up and be here today is more than what we deserve. And so, you know, your life, anything good that you have ever gotten or will receive in life, and certainly salvation is more than any of us deserve. And I mean, if all that Jesus did for you was to save you from hell, would you not consider yourself to be a blessed person? I mean, if that's all that he had ever done was to give you the promise and the assurance of your salvation from hell and to spend eternity in him with heaven, if that's all he ever did for us, we'd be blessed. We'd be blessed because none of us deserve that kind of grace in our, our lives. What, you know, what, what are a few years of pain? <laughs> What, what's a few years of loss? What's, a, what's a, a few years of struggle compared to the joy that we are going to experience one day as we go and spend eternity with Him in heaven, right? And, and when we say, God, you owe me something more than that, that's foolish, <laughs> right? 
That, that's foolish. We're, we're trying to enter into a, a contract. We're trying to enter into negotiations with God when we do that. And that's not where you want to be. That's not where I want to be, I, I promise. Because the greatest, greatest gift and the greatest blessing uh, that we could ever receive from him is forgiveness of sin. The greatest blessing, the greatest gift that we could ever receive from him is eternal life with him forever. What could be better than that? Second thing is this. You may be in a contract with God if you ever find yourself being jealous. And we're in church and we're all going, oh, I'd never be jealous. You, know. we're, you are, right? I mean, I, I, I had the opportunity to go fishing this past week. Uh, and I'm out there and, you know, I, my wife allowed me to, I've got a nice boat and you know, we're blessed. And, and I was out there fishing. Man, this guy, he came and he was fishing not far from me. And I, I fish out of an aluminum boat. It's a nice aluminum boat, but I fish out of an aluminum boat. This guy pulled up beside me and it looked like a brand new Skeeter with brand new Merc, you know. And I'm sitting there looking at it. I'm like, I wish I could have a boat like that, you know. And then I'm working on this sermon and I'm like, Steve, you're pathetic. <laughs> <laughs> You're the preacher, you know? Uh, and that's all I got fishing on the bank. Kind of made me feel bad about the whole deal, you know? Uh, I didn't feel that bad or I'd asked him to get in the boat with me. But, you know, sometimes we're jealous. We're, we're jealous of people. We frame it with this question. Have you ever been jealous of good things that other ha- others have that you wanted? All right, I see some of you, you, you pick up your phone and you just look at it, and then it looks back at you. I'm like, wow, that's cool. I'd like to have one of those. You know, we get jealous about the silliest and simplest things. In this story, all, you know, the all-day workers, well, they're jealous of these one-hour folks, right? Uh, because they think that they're, you know, the 12-hour workers feel like they deserve more than, than anyone else that worked that day. And if we're all honest, we, you know, we are like that sometimes. We look at others and go, you know, why did they get that opportunity? Why, 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 did, why did they get all the breaks? Why did they, you know, uh, get, you know, why are they able to have kids and we're not able to have kids? You know, why did they get this great and awesome job and I didn't get the great and awesome job? We look at people sometimes and go, why are they so good looking? <laughs> you know, why are they so skinny? they don't go to Andy seven days a week, you know. <clears throat> Andy's is about to be the death of your preacher, I'm just going to tell you. But, you know, we often look at other people and we compare and we think, you know, I, I deserve that. I, I deserve those kinds of things in my life. I deserve to have a family like that, have kids like that, have stuff like that. But again, when we do that, it's getting back to this contract mentality with God like we have some room there to be able to negotiate all this with Him, you know? And and we must realize that everything good that we have received is a gift of grace from the Master, and it's not what we have deserved. It's just not. Remember what the Master said to the late-day workers? You know, he basically said, just trust me. Just go with me. Just go to work for me and I'll take care of you. That, that was his promise to, to them. And, and we don't, you know, we don't really deserve that. 
So how could we ever complain or ever be jealous of someone else's blessings or what you know, they have received? And when we realize that any blessings that we receive are not owed to us, but they're just gifts of grace, when we understand that and we realize that, let me tell you something, it'll change the way you look at everything. Right? It will turn a person of jealousy into a person of gratitude uh, and also a person of generosity. i got to tell you this story. I think uh, a parable to go with the parable, a story to go with the story. Uh, it's not biblical. This is actually, I read it, and uh, it's a true story this lady experienced. She uh, would treat herself on Tuesdays during lunch. I don't know why Tuesdays. But Tuesdays during lunch, she would treat herself, and when she would get lunch at work, she would go to a nearby mall that was there close to where she worked, and she would go to the food court, and they had this really awesome coffee shop uh, in the mall, and uh, she loved their coffee, and then right beside the coffee shop was a cookie store, right? And they made cookies. Some of you have been in the mall, and you know, you can smell those things, you know, a mile away. And so what she would do is every Tuesday during lunch, she'd go to the coffee store and she'd order herself a cup of coffee and she'd go to the cookie store and she'd buy herself a bag of cookies and she would sit down there and she would read and, you know, drink her coffee and and eat her cookies. And so this particular day she went and uh, she uh, bought her coffee and then she went and bought her cookies and she went and sat down. Food court was pretty crowded that day. There weren't very many tables available. And so she's sitting here and she's reading her book and she's drinking her coffee and this man walks up to the table and says, ma'am, do you mind if I sit at this table uh, across from you? He said, you know, there's not any more seats. Would you mind? She says, no, I don't mind at all. Have a seat there. And so she's reading her book. In just a minute, she reaches out and she takes a cookie out of her bag of cookies and she begins eating it. And then she notices the strangest thing. She said, the man sitting across from me Stuck his hand in my bag of cookies, pulled a cookie out, and started eating it, and just looked at me and smiled. And she was like, I was appalled. I was like, what a jerk. You know, I cannot hardly believe this guy would eat out of my cookies. And she said, but I, you know, I'm not going to make a scene. It's Tuesday, coffee, cookies, you know, let it go. Just let it go. She said, so I got me another cookie out of the bag, and I began to eat it. She said, he stuck his hand back in that bag and got another cookie out of it. Looked at me and smiled. Sat there and ate that cookie, and she said, I'm about to lose my stinking mind. You know, thinking this is the rudest human being. I couldn't even imagine being in a situation like this. And she says, and here I am in it. You know, and she said, just let it go, just let it go, don't make a scene. You know, he may, he's obviously a nut, you know. He may be on the meth and, you know, whatever. <laughs> just let it go. It's only a cookie. Right? She said, so anyway, we go through this routine. We go through this practice. Of, uh, you know, I'd eat a cookie, he'd eat a cookie. And she said, it gets, comes down to the point where there's only one cookie left in the bag. And she said, this scumbag had the gall to reach in the bag, take out the cookie, broke it in half, looked at me and smiled and handed me half the cookie and he ate the other half. And she said, I was so mad. I was livid. I grabbed my purse. I grabbed my coffee. She said, I storm out of there. She said, I walk back to the office. I throw my purse down on my desk. It opens up, and there's my bag of cookies. (laughs) And she said, in an instant, my whole perspective of that man changed right before my very eyes. He went from being the scum of the earth to the most gracious man I'd ever encountered in my whole life. (laughs) 
She said, because I'm sitting there eating his cookies the entire time. And my cookies are in my purse. And when I read that, I thought, you know, she totally saw this man now in a different light. You know, she'd went from being frustrated and annoyed to what? To experiencing one of the most gracious things ever, you know. And listen, when we realize, when we realize all the cookies that we enjoy in life were purchased by Jesus, it changes the way we look at it. Especially knowing that Jesus gave you the cookies when you didn't deserve them. And that leads us to the next thing here. You may be in contract with God if you're angry. Ask yourself this question. Have you ever gotten angry when God didn't answer your prayers the way that you thought that he should? Because here's the deal. If we assume that God owes us things then we don't like it when he doesn't do what we want him to do. If we live under this assumption that we somehow deserve for God to give us and show us goodness, then we may get angry when he doesn't answer our prayer. We're like, but God, you know, I did this or that, so you owe me, right? Uh, You know, I went to church, I tithed, I work in the stinking nursery for heaven's sake. You know, I'm following all the rules, and I did what you said. And so, you know, you should do this for me because I've been faithful, and I want what I deserve. There's a pastor back in the 19th century. No, I'm jumping ahead. That story's for another point. Sorry, I'll get to him in a minute. But, you know, thank, thank goodness that what God gives us isn't based on our goodness, huh? And it's a gift of grace. Thank God we don't get what we deserve, right? And when we go through pain, it's not a punishment, you know, for bad living. Because here's the deal, y'all. Jesus took all the punishment in our place. And so we need to understand that and realize that, which, which literally means this. There is no punishment left for you or me if we're followers of Jesus Christ. Right, Romans 8, 1 says, There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. How much? No condemnation. Right? Which means God does not pay you back for something that you did. Jesus paid it all. And there is no condemnation left in that. Right, And so when we pray and we ask God for what we want, when we pray and we ask God for what we deserve, when we pray and ask God for good things, on what basis are we asking Him for those good things? Based on the good things that you have done? Right? Because that's ridiculous. Right? Now, to our 19th century pastor, his name was R.A. Torrey. He, he, he wrote that one time he had received a letter uh, from a man that was complaining that God hadn't answered his prayer after he had faithfully followed him for 30 years. Tori said, I replied to him with this letter, if you're asking God to do something for you because you have served him faithfully, faithfully for 30 years, you're really praying in your own name and not in Jesus' name. And, And when we realize 
that everything good that we are given is done out of the abundance of the grace of God. How could we ever be angry about that or jealous about that or bitter about that? And that leads us to the final point today, and it's this. You may be in a contract with God if you are insecure. So ask yourself this question. Have you ever been uncertain about where you stand with God or insecure about your future? All right, because if you have a contract mentality with God, all right, if that's the way you view your relationship with the Master, and you assume that what God gives you is in direct response to what you deserve... Can I just tell you, you're going to live in a constant state of insecurity. When you look at it that way, and you view it that way. Because there's never enough that you could do, right? And, and, and every time a bad thing happens to you, you ask the question, am I being paid back? You know, am, am I being pa- paid back for something that I did? Did I, did I somehow cause this? And I believe today there are a lot of people in our world today, a lot of people here in the United States who call themselves Christians, who are actually practicing Buddhism or Hinduism. Okay, and what I mean by that is many people are living their lives based off of this idea of karma. This idea that if you do bad, then it will be returned to you. And I would suggest to you today that that is not the gospel. That is not the gospel, right? Because the gospel does not offer condemnation. It offers peace. All right? Jesus tells us to trust in his goodness. He tells us to trust in his grace, to believe that he has removed the threat of punishment from our lives. And he also tells us this, that if we are his children... If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, if you are his children, he says this, I will turn everything that is bad that happens into something good. That is his promise to you as a child of God, that he will take the bad, he will take the horrible, and he will turn it into something good. He promises that he will take care of us. He promises that he will supply all of our needs. He makes so many promises to us as his children of God. Right, It reminds me of that old hymn we sang every Sunday in the church. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Right? Just to take him at his word of what he said, of what he promised. Just to rest upon that promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. And I don't know about you, but I'll take the promises of God Every single time over what the enemy is telling me and what the enemy is promising me. I'll take God's. And I'll close with this today. All of the blessings that you have experienced, all of the blessings that you are experiencing, whether they're blessings of finances, whether they're blessings of of health or blessings of relationships or, or spiritual blessings, Right, All of the blessings that you have experienced or will ever experience are the result of grace. They're the result of graces in your life that, oh, by the way, you had absolutely nothing to do with. As I was 
thinking about this and going through this, I, I began to think about how privileged my life has been and how privileged we are as Americans. And I began to think, what did I do to deserve the parents that I had that taught me the gospel? What, 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 what did I do that deserved that? What, what did I do that deserved, you know, to be brought up in a family that taught me the value of hard work? Right? What, what did I, did, did I do something as a baby, right, that, that made me worthy of, of growing up in an awesome church and in a community to where I'd have access to the gospel and people that would encourage me on, on my journey? You know, did I do something? When I, when I was just an embryo that blessed me to be able to grow up in the United States of America where I, I had access to privilege and I had access to opportunities. You know, what, what was it that I did? Did I do something special to deserve any talents that I may have or to be put in a situation where I could do what I'm standing here doing today? Did I do something in order to deserve that? No. Not at all. I didn't experience those things because I was somehow more worthy than someone else was, right? God, in his grace and in his mercy, he gave me opportunities. He gave me privileges. And don't miss that. He gave you opportunities and he gave you privileges, right? We're very blessed. We're blessed compared to about 95, you know, 90, I don't even know what I'm saying. We're blessed. I was about to quote you a statistic and then went blank on it, and I don't want to tell it wrong. We're blessed, folks. We live in the United States of America. So much opportunity, so much privilege, and God in his grace, for whatever reason, allowed it. Why? Because he wanted you to use that for his glory and for his benefit. Right? That's why you were chosen to be as blessed as you are. We are obligated. We were blessed to be a blessing. We're obligated with, to take the blessings that he has bestowed upon us and poured out on us to be a blessing for him. And Jesus says it again here today. Whoever has ears, let them hear. Listen to the story. Listen to the point, right? When you understand that you don't deserve salvation, when you understand that you don't deserve blessings, that Jesus did all the work and you got all the blessing, that Jesus bought the cookies and you just get to eat them, <laughs> right? It'll change your life forever and how you view what you have and what you've been given. So this morning, I would challenge you, get rid of your contract. And in humility, embrace the grace of God and trust in the goodness of the master that has said, follow me and I'll be fair. <laughs> follow me and I'll take good care of you. I promise to do that. Right? Trust in the goodness of the master who called you to follow him. And when you do, I promise you this, it will turn your bitterness into gratitude and it will turn your jealousy into contentment, and it'll turn your anger into peace, and it will turn your insecurity into assurance. 
And some of you today walked in here negotiating a contract with God. Some of you walked in here today, and this could be a complete game changer for you and for your life. And today, you're not going to walk out of here under contract, but you're going to walk out of here trusting in the Master, following Him, and trusting that His goodness is enough. The promise of His blessings are enough. The promise of salvation The promise of no condemnation. The promise of heaven is more than enough. And so we stand on those promises today. And we can trust in him today. And so today what I want to do is I want to have a prayer time today. And I want to invite you to come. Maybe God spoke to you about something today and you just need to come and respond to that. Maybe there's something that's going on in your life and it seems like everything has been a struggle. Everything has been a problem. Everything has been a burden. Maybe you just need to come today and and bring that to God and say, God, I trust you with this today. I trust you with this situation. I trust you with this diagnosis. I trust you with my family. I trust you with whatever it may be. And so today, this is our family prayer time, and I'm just going to invite you to come. Maybe some would like to come and pray over the prayer chest that we have here today. We're trusting in Jesus that these people will come to know uh, Him as their Lord and Savior. So if somebody would like to come pray over that. But I invite you to come today while we respond. We're going to pray together, and then we're going to sing together as we close this service today. But if you want to come and pray today, now's the time. And let's just join together. Join our hearts and join our minds together. As we pray and thank Him. God, you're such a good God. And you have reminded us today of your goodness. You've reminded us today exactly what grace looks like. Grace is you looking back at us and smiling in love as we eat the cookies that we didn't purchase. God, our response to that can only be in humility because we don't get what we deserve. We get, in return, the reward that you deserved. We receive the crown that you deserve. We receive the benefits that you paid for. And God, we thank you for this reminder today that there's no condemnation for those who are your children and walking with you. And and I know that that spoke to somebody's heart today because they feel like they've been living their life and it's it's just been one punishment after another for something that they've done in the past. But God, if they've surrendered their life to you, that's not what it's all about. And your promise is, if we will follow you and be your children, then you'll take whatever that is, whatever it may have been in our past, whatever it is that may be happening right now, and you're going to turn it into good. And so we stand on that promise today. And I I thank you today for this awesome reminder of just how much you do love us. I think sometimes we forget 
we take for granted. Good grief, every single one of us here living in the United States of America, we're the most blessed people in the entire world. And yet we take it for granted. And, and, and sometimes we grumble and complain because it's not enough. It's not enough. And there are people all around us every single day that would give anything to have what we have. But God, the most important thing that we have is you. And I pray that that is what they would see that they would be drawn to. That they would see you so alive and so at work in us that they would say, there's one person, there's one thing that that person has that I must have. And they would seek you and they would receive you as Lord and Savior of their life. God, this prayer chest that we have up here today is filled with names of people from our church. That's put the names of friends. They put the names of family members and loved ones in that chest. It's just a, a, a way of saying, God, we're, we're praying for that person. We're lifting that person to you. And God, I pray that we would be available to be used to carry the gospel or this hope that we have to the people in that chest. But if not us, Lord, send somebody. I pray that someone would be obedient. Someone would be available today to go and plant a seed. <laughs> to go and share the love of Jesus with those whose names are written on those pieces of paper and that, God, they would come to the realization that the only hope that they can have in their life is through a relationship with you. And so we pray, God, that these people would come to know you. I pray for these that are gathered around these altars today, the burdens that they bear, the things that they bring, the petitions that they bring to these altars today. Uh, we present them to a, a loving God a God that promises he'll be with us. He'll never leave us. He'll never forsake us. And God, today we've had the reminder, it, it is so sweet to be able to trust in you. It is so sweet to trust in Jesus and the promises that you've made us today. And so I pray today as some of these people get up from these altars today or they get up out of their chairs today that they'll stand on these promises that you have for your kids, for your children, for your church. God, what a blessing to be a part of what you're doing here. We thank you for what you're doing, but we thank you for what you're going to do in the days ahead as we're available and we're obedient to you. It's in the powerful name of Jesus we pray today. Amen. Would you stand with us? And I want to close with this song we talked about this morning and Closing, tis so sweet to trust in Jesus. Tis so sweet to trust in Jesus, just to take Him at His word, just to rest upon His promise. Just to know, thus saith the Lord. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, Oh, for grace 
to trust Him more. I'm so glad I learned to trust Thee, precious Jesus, Savior, friends, and I know that Thou art with me will be with me to the end. Jesus, Jesus, how I trust Him, how I've proved Him more and more. Jesus, Jesus, precious Jesus, Oh, for grace to trust Him more. Amen. Y'all are dismissed.